Pastor, amen. Good to be here this morning. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Take your Bibles this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to go to verse 9. Again, let me thank you, church, for your many, many, many ways in which you have shown your love for us this week and the missionaries here in this conference. And uh, uh, this has uh, been a special week for me, uh, focusing in on America. I know Brother George is there in Romania, and I appreciate his ministry and his family so much. And looking forward to hearing about that ministry tonight. But it's been a joy to be able to focus on our homeland. I told someone yesterday, I don't pray anymore. I don't, I shouldn't say that. Let me back up, okay? All right, I do pray on a regular basis, but I don't pray this. I don't pray God bless America anymore. I pray God please turn America around. I pray that evening and morning and I'm asking God to turn us around. But thank you folks so much for uh, your kindness and uh, we are going to uh, be thinking about this week for weeks to come and we appreciate you so much. Second Corinthians chapter 8 this morning verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Father, this morning as we gather here again on this Lord's Day in your house with your people and Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray, dear Lord, that your word would definitely do the work this morning that needs to be done. Father, thank you so much for the ministry of Central Baptist Church, a pastor and his dear wife. There are many, many laborers here, the staff, the, the volunteers that stand shoulder to shoulder with pastor every single week to get the ministry done. Lord, thank you for all of them today. Lord, thank you for the encouragement this week has been. Father, help us now for just the next few moments to zero in on this matter of your grace. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray in Jesus' name and we ask it for his sake. Amen. In Scripture, you find certain themes as you read the Bible, certain themes that stand out. If I were to say the word faith this morning, it wouldn't take long before you'd probably think about the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, where the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If I were to say the word rapture this morning, it wouldn't take long before you'd probably think of that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 16 and following, where the Bible says, and by the way, uh, that, that thing called the rapture is the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. Amen? Everything else has been completed, has been done. And uh, I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now this is describing what's going to happen on God's calendar, the next thing to happen on God's calendar. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Who can say amen to that? If I were to say the word love this morning, it wouldn't take long before uh, someone would think of 1 Corinthians 13, the, what I call the love chapter in our King James Bible. Of course, describes love with the word charity. The Bible says in verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, 
And then it goes on to explain more about this matter of God's love and, and love in general. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here, of course, the theme is faith promise giving. Now, um, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning because this church is so familiar with faith promise. But you know, sometimes uh, uh, folks will call faith promise giving grace giving. So I, wanna, I want you to think about the grace of God this morning for just a few minutes, okay? Now, faith promise giving starts with faith promise living. Amen? Amen? Amen. Someone has said, and I, I haven't counted them, but someone has said there are over 7,000 promises in this book. That's a bunch, isn't it? I wonder how many do you know this morning? Faith promise living is simply living your Christian life Trusting God, believing God, obeying God, and acting on the promises you find in His Word. Now think with me for just a moment. We're going to shift gears here for a second. When God gets ready to do something, when He gets ready to use you and I, when He gets ready to do something and He's going to use us in some capacity, how does that all start? Well, it starts many times by God puts a desire in our hearts to do something for Him. That's where it all starts, amen? For example, years ago, I was an assistant pastor and, and I was really praying about some things in my life as far as what the Lord would have me to do. And I found myself uh, uh, really living my life in such a way where I had this desire that came from God. I knew it came from God, but God placed this desire in my heart to uh, begin to think about, pray about planting churches. And, uh, you know, God confirmed that through His Word. He confirmed that through the people of God. He confirmed that through different situations. But when you think about it, you know, really, as, as Christians, we don't have a lot of spiritual thoughts on our own, but rather God puts those desires, He puts those thoughts in our hearts, and then we should act upon that desire. You say, well, Brother Bob, do you have a scripture for that? Yeah, Philippians. Chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to do and to will of His good pleasure. So when God gets ready to do anything, when He gets ready to use us in any capacity, He puts a desire in our hearts to do something for Him. And uh, I touched on this Friday night, but when we agree with God, you know, we have a free will. We can decide to agree with God or not to agree with God. But when we agree with God and we say, yes, Lord, that's what you want us to do, then God becomes active in our lives and He accomplishes things through us, honestly, that He wants to accomplish, whether it be our giving, whether it be our serving Him in some capacity. And He, he, he does that, He starts that with a desire in our hearts. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's go there for a minute this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh, the church at Corinth has promised to receive an offering. You say, well, Brother Bob, why did you mention this matter of a desire in our hearts? Because this morning, on this last Sunday of the 2022 Missions Conference, where you've been focusing on our homeland and focusing on missions and worldwide evangelization, it, it's a good thing, I, I think, to, to uh, be praying, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And when God puts a desire in your heart to give a certain amount, or to commit yourself to a certain amount. You know, when we agree with Him, aren't you glad that the grace of God kicks in and honestly, He will, he will uh, take that desire of ours and He will use us in ways that we never imagined. 1 Corinthians 16 this morning, look at verse 1. Now here's, a, here's some instructions about an offering. 
I want you to see what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Now, what about this offering this morning? Well, it's proof positive that even back in first century Christianity, the churches were receiving offerings above and beyond the tithe. And they were receiving those offerings to meet certain needs. Now, in this particular case, here was a, a need in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem had a real need. You say, well, Brother Bob, what was their need? Well, there was a dearth. There was a famine over in Jerusalem. And the poor saints were starving over there. And so they were going to be gathering this offering to meet a need. I cannot think this morning, ladies and gentlemen, of a greater need than the need for a person to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Whether that person be in Romania, whether that person be in New York City, whether that person be in Portland, Oregon, wherever, Ocala, Florida, there's no greater need. You say, well, Brother Bob, education is a need. You know, it would be a tragedy to have the best education and not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to know the age of all the rocks and not know the rock of ages? Huh? What a tragedy that would be. Hey, the strong man is really weak if all he has is his physical strength and he knows not Jesus Christ. The wise man's really a fool if all he has is worldly wisdom and he does not know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And so that need of mankind is to hear that there's a Jesus Christ who can save their souls. And that's why, that's why this week you've gathered together and that's why you do what you do here at Central because of the great need out there. Paul is saying to the church here, he's saying, church, I want you to promise. I want you to do as you promised you will do. You know, that's what a church does when they support missionaries. A missionary comes and he shares his ministry, his burden. I always enjoy hearing the burden that a missionary carries because I know that's a God-given thing. I know God has placed that burden on that missionary. And when I hear that, I, I always know that, you know what, that's something that was involved in that missionary's call. And a missionary comes to your church and he presents his his burden and his ministry for a certain people group or a certain country or a certain location. And he promises, what does he promise to do? He promises to follow through on that call. There's a veteran missionary in here this morning, 17 years, and he's followed through on that call that God gave him 17 years ago. Praise God for that. Praise God for your many missionaries who have been on the field 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Praise God for that. Amen. But a missionary comes and he shares his burden and he promises to follow through on that call. And, and, and as the church partners with that missionary, of course, the church promises to partner and to follow through with, that, with, with, with what they've promised to do. And so, and so you are partners together for the cause of Christ. Now, now the faith promise is, is personal and it's between you and the Lord. And uh, it's something that you and the Lord have to determine what you're going to be doing for the coming year. 
You know, isn't it amazing? We make promises to men all the time, don't we? We go to buy a home, and what do we do? We sign, why? We sign a mortgage, and what do we promise to do? We promise to faithfully make those payments for 20 or 30 years. It's a promise to man. We go buy a vehicle, what do we do? We sign the paper, and what do we do? We promise to make those payments faithfully every month uh, to the bank or whomever loaned us the money. But I believe a promise to God is a lot more important than a promise to man. Right. Amen? But the faith promise is a promise to God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and following, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church, churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So here's proof positive. You know, what you do at Central, you can, you can, you can trace that all the way back to first century Christianity. And churches way back in first century Christianity were receiving offerings above and beyond the tithe. Now notice the criteria here that... Uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul lays out here, what's the criteria for this offering? Well, it's to be gathered in verse 2 upon the first day of the week. And who's to be involved in this offering? Well, the Bible says, let every one of you. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if uh, there was 100% participation this year Amen. in the matter of faith promise giving? Here's the criteria, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, and how much are, were they to give as God hath prospered them? Now you may be sitting there this morning and the couple in front of you, maybe God has prospered you more than maybe he has prospered you, but, but nevertheless it's based on how God has prospered you. Can I remind us this morning, if you drove here this morning in some form of transportation and you got here safely and you have clothes on your back this morning, and if you're going to eat at least two meals today, and most of us will have three and some snacks along with it, amen? And if you can go home tonight to some form of shelter, do you realize tonight you and I are in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people? God has prospered us here in America. Amen? Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. I want to show you something quickly here this morning. I'm going to have to hustle. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God. In other words, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded onto the riches of their liberality. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is humanly impossible. <laughs> how can you have adversity and have deep poverty and still be happy and be able to give. It's humanly impossible without God's grace, without the grace of God. Paul's using these churches as an example of the grace of God. Do you ever, do you ever consider the grace of God when it comes to your giving? I think sometimes we have a disconnect. We understand the grace of God in many areas of our lives. And we understand how the grace of God worked but sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect when it comes to the grace of God and our giving. I'm so glad that faith promise giving is something that God does in our hearts, in our lives. And when we agree with God and what He wants us to do, at that very point He becomes active and He accomplishes, he accomplishes what He wants to accomplish through His grace. I have this hymnal this morning. This is pastor's hymnal, so I have to put it back. But... Uh, Let's let this hymnal represent the grace of God this morning. In every single one of our lives, isn't it interesting how just at an appointed time, 
and I'm going to let this hymnal represent God's grace just at an appointed time in our life. God delivers his grace to us just like I hand the hymnal to my wife. I am so thankful for God's grace, Amen. his enabling grace. I want you to think with me about some things this morning that probably are very personal to you, where you could look back and you could say, you know what? It was by the grace of God that that happened. I want you to think about, number one, your salvation. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is by grace through faith. It is completely of God. But do you understand that we have to respond to that grace and then God becomes active and he saves the individual. When I, was, uh, when I was lost and I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I began to hear the gospel, I realized that there was a Jesus Christ who had paid the price for my sin. I realized that God had sent his only begotten son to go to that lonely cross on Calvary and pay the price for my sin. How did I respond how did, I, how did I respond to that? Well, number one, I responded by recognizing I was a sinner. <laughs> I finally came to that place of admitting I was a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. I had to admit my sinful condition. And I turned from that sinful condition, repenting of that sin. I had to realize the penalty to pay for sin. I had to, I had to come to the grips of realizing that, you know what? There was a price to pay for sin. The wages of sin is death. Someone pointed out that word death to me as an early, as a person even before I was saved. And, and they said, you know, that word death for the wages of sin is death means more than dying naturally. It means more than dying with a gunshot wound or, or dying of cancer. It means dying and being separated from God forever and ever in a place called hell. I had to recognize that fact. Hey, I had to recognize the fact and I had to realize where sin came from. The Bible is clear. In Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. I had to come to that place of recognizing where sin came from. I had to believe that Jesus died for me. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward me, and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I had to trust Christ alone as my Savior. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I had to claim God's promise for salvation. The Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God put a desire in my heart. It was God's grace that did that. Only by the grace of God I stand here saved today. We recognize the grace of God when it comes to salvation. Do we recognize the grace of God? I think we do. I think all of us realize, you know what? God has been changing me ever since that time when I was saved. God has been changing me. And it's only by God's grace I am today what I am. I think about Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. After real salvation, there's a change in the way a person lives. It's a step-by-step -step process, but at an appointed time in our lives, God delivers His grace to us, and, 
and we realize, you know what, I, I shouldn't be going that direction. I shouldn't be involved in that. And we're willing to leave that behind and turn from it. And you know, it's only by God's grace that we're able to be sanctified and changed by the living God. I'm talking here about sanctification. I'm talking here about separation. It's by God's grace. And it happens at appointed times in our lives. In 1996, my family and I, we, we made our way to northwest Arkansas to plant a church up in the northwest corner of the state. It's, it was near the Walmart Corporation. The, that corner of the state was booming. People were moving in from all over the country. A lot of spin-off businesses because of the Walmart Corporation. We had planned to go to Kansas City, but God had rerouted us because we had heard about the growth there. So we went to northwest Arkansas, it's pretty, it's up in the Ozark Mountains, it's near the Fayetteville, uh, University of Fayetteville, and lots of people to reach. And, and so uh, we started in a motel meeting room. Later on we would move to a, a rented church building and then into some storefront buildings and eventually build our own building. But that first Sunday in the Clarion Motel in Fayetteville, Arkansas, a young lady walked through the door. She had a little daughter she was holding by the hand. She had a, uh, a young baby that was in the, uh, the carrier there, the baby carrier, and she came in and she sat down. Her name was Debbie. That Sunday morning, I preached a message on heaven and I encouraged people during the invitation to come and receive Christ as their Savior. And, and for those that may not know the Lord or for those that may be far away from God to maybe come and rededicate their lives. And Debbie came that Sunday and she said, Brother Bob, I've been saved, but, but I'm far from God. And so she rededicated her life. And Sunday after Sunday, as we met in that motel meeting room, Debbie would come at the end of the service and she'd be praying for her husband, Brian. One day I said to Debbie, I said, Debbie, I know you live out in the country out there. I said, why don't you draw me a map and I'd like to go visit Brian. So on a Saturday, I, I got to Debbie's house and got to Brian's house and they had those two little children. Well, the car was gone and I thought, well, they may be gone, but I went to the door and I knocked and I could hear somebody stirring in there. And this giant of a man came to the door, and that was Brian. I mean, I was looking straight ahead, but I was looking about, you know, at his chest, and he was way up there. And uh, when he opened the door, the only comment he made is, yeah? And I said, hi. I'm Bob Larson. I, I'm the pastor of your wife's church. And he went, uh. I said, man, this is beautiful country around here. I said, would you take a little time and and hop in my car, I'd like to get a tour of the area out here. This is wonderful. I said, how about just riding with me? He thought for a minute and he kind of went, eh. I thought, is this man deaf? Can he not talk? He got in my car and honestly for the next 45 minutes he gave me a tour. But he never said a word to me. He would point and every time I had to turn he'd grunt and he'd say, eh. Eh. We finally got back to his house. I shut the car down. I said, hey, Brian, I said, we sure appreciate your wife and your kids coming to church. I said, I'd sure like to see you come. I said, I know that you work a lot and I know you got a busy schedule. Your wife has told me about your work and he worked at a manufacturing firm at that time. And I said, but man, I, I really wish you'd make some time. Can I share a verse from the Bible with you, Brian, and pray with you? And he said, huh? So we shared a couple of verses. I shared a couple of verses with him and prayed and he got out. About three Sunday nights later, I, we were getting ready for the service. We were in a rented building and I looked back and, and Brian was sitting in the back. 
And Brian would come periodically, and then one, one time we had a college group come through, and, and the young man with the college group, he was going to preach, and so uh, we were going to have a supper afterwards, a dinner or whatever. And so uh, the, the young man did a great job. He preached a salvation message. The choir or the group sang, and, and uh, you know, we're back in the fellowship area. We're now renting a church building, so we're back in the fellowship area. And uh, we're, we're there eating and fellowshipping. And all of a sudden, Brian's father-in-law comes in. And he said, Brother Bob, you better come outside. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, Brian's out there in the car. And there's something wrong with him. I said, physically? Is he, is he suffering from something? I mean, is, does he have a heart attack? What's wrong? He said, no, no, you need to come out and see him. And I came out, and that big old giant of a guy was sitting in the front seat of his car, weeping. Weeping. I got in on the passenger's side. I said, Brian, can I help you? And he looked at me and he said, Brother Bob, I need to be saved. Amen. And that Sunday night, Brian got saved. Amen. And as I watched Brian's life and as I watched him come to church and as I watched the Lord working in his heart and in his life and as he began to read the Bible and learn about the love of Jesus Christ, I saw... I saw a man transformed, just transformed. Several years ago, we, we pulled our trailer into, and the church is doing great at this point, and Brother David Isaacs is pastoring the church, and I, we love to be there because it's growing and uh, it's, it's an exciting ministry. But we pulled our trailer in to park there for a couple of days, and uh, as we pulled into the parking lot, as we pulled into the parking lot, People were scurrying around. There was a lot of cars there, and I thought, what, what's going on? And I saw the bus out front, one of the buses out front, and uh, guess who came bounding out the door? Brian. Hey, Brother Bob, how are you? Man, it's good to see you. Hey, we're going to camp, and we got some lost kids. I wish you'd pray with us about them. They need to be saved. Brother Bob, we're going to have a great week. You talk about a man changed by the grace of God. Hey, we understand the grace of God when it comes to salvation, don't we? We understand the grace of God when it comes to sanctification and the changes God allows us to make. Hey, we understand the grace of God when it comes to serving Him. You know, every talent and ability we have is on loan from God. And you know, it's only by God's grace we can stand and teach a class. It's only by God's grace we can... Boy, I love that violin special this morning, amen? amen. Only by the grace of God that the choir sang this morning. Only, I tell you what, it's God's enabling grace that allows us to serve Him in the capacity in which He wants us to serve Him. Everyone, I think, in here this morning understands His wonderful grace in times of difficulty, right? What enables that man or woman who's going through deep water physically to, to come to church with a smile on their face and, and share a testimony of trusting God and believing God and obeying God? That's the pure grace of God at work. Amen? The pure God, the grace of God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, that same grace, that very same grace that, that we know so well when it comes to our salvation, our sanctification, our service for the Lord, that grace that enables us when we're going through difficult, dark times is the very same grace that will enable you this year to not only determine what God would want you to do as far as faith promise giving, 
but it will enable you to do it and follow through with what He is putting on your heart to do. Amen. I'll share a story and I'll be done this morning. Several years ago, I met a young man by the name of Matt. He was in a good church near Kansas City, Missouri. And Matt told me an interesting story. Let me share it with you. It may never happen to you, but it happened to Matt. He said, Brother Bob, two years ago in our Faith Promise Missions Conference, he said, God was really wanting me to stretch, and he was wanting our family to stretch. He said, I really was praying about the amount that God was laying upon my heart, and I really wondered how in the world we were going to do it. But he said, after praying with my wife and after talking about it with her and after God confirming it in Scripture, he said, we filled out our faith promise card. And he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, there were some weeks where it was a stretch. But he said, week by week, we were able to give what we promised. He said, in November of that year, he said, I, I went to work and he said, I'd worked about half a day. And after dinner, there was, a, there was a memo circulating around my plant where he worked. And the memo said this, if you have given to a non, we have had such a wonderful sales year. That's how it started. Signed by the president of the company. We've had such a wonderful sales year this year that if you've given to a nonprofit organization, we would like to match what you have given to that organization. Boy, Matt waved to the foreman. He said, come over here. He said, does that mean my giving to my church? And the foreman says, I don't know. I'll go check. He came back. He said, yep. They'll be glad to match the giving. Boy, it was an excited Matt Pringle that went home that night, called the treasurer, said, I need a record of my giving. And Matt told me on the last Sunday of that year, he was able to drop in a check on the last Sunday of that year that doubled, that doubled what he had given that entire year. Amen. He said, Brother Bob, I know now why God was wanting me to stretch. Because he was going to take what I did and committed to. He was going to enable us by his grace, but he was going to take what we gave and he was going to double it. Now that may not happen to you, but you know what? God's blessings are not always monetary, right? Huh? Good health, godly spouse, sweet children, grandchildren, spiritual blessings. A good job, a comfortable home, food on the table. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel this morning. I'm talking about something that God does in us and through us by His enabling grace. 